0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. There's a lot of discussion about how we can get more diversity into the workplace, and quite correctly, because there is plenty of research that shows that more diverse workplaces are more motivated, more innovative, and for commercial organizations, more profitable. So, so far, so good. The discussions about diversity recruitment seem to focus on gender, ethnicity, and physical issues. What about neurodiversity or rather neurominorities? People with ADHD, Asperger's, dyslexia, dyspraxia, or a range of other conditions. In other words, people who think differently, whose brains work a little bit differently. They seem to be ignored by many workplace inclusion programs. Later in this podcast, I'm going to be talking to Neil Barnett at Microsoft, because Microsoft has a well-established program for hiring and retaining neurodiverse staff. But first, let me welcome Dr. Nancy Doyle. Nancy is Chief Executive Officer of Genius Within, a non-profit organization working to help neurodiversity be recognized as a positive characteristic in employment, and for neurominority people to reach their full potential. She is also co-director of the Centre for Neurodiversity at Work at Birkbeck College University of London. Importantly, she's also a member of a neurominority, having been diagnosed with ADHD. Nancy, hi, and welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Perhaps first of all I can start by asking you to explain what exactly is ADHD and how does it affect you in your working life?
1: That's um, a great place to start. So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit and Hyperactivity Disorder Um, and it's a very pejorative, negative, uh, problem-focused way of describing what are essentially differences in the way um mine and other adhd is attention and concentration Works. So actually, ADHD people are incredibly good at focusing, and we can do something called hyperfocus, which is where we can pay attention to the same thing for an intense long amount of time if it's something that we're really interested in and motivated by. Um, conversely, when that's not happening, our attention is more easily split and we're quite easily distracted by things in our environment. Um, and that would be a really useful. Style of thinking, if you were doing um, some sort of patrol, some sort of kind of security work, if you were on a busy ward and needing to keep um, your attention on lots of different patients, um, if you were working in a school and needed to pay attention to lots of children at the same time, if you were a firefighter and needed to be really highly aware of your environment, then that distractibility is actually advantageous. However, if you're working in um, a busy office and you're trying to focus on um, a quite mundane task or if you're in a school as a pupil and you're trying to pay attention to your work in a busy classroom then that level of distractibility makes it really hard for you to do what you do Um, and so that's where the the name came from it came from naming that distractibility as problematic as opposed to understanding that that distractibility can sometimes be advantageous
0: so would you regard it as a positive or a negative in, in your your working life
1: well I mean, it does both things. So, you know, it's an absolute negative right now because I'm in the middle of an IT systems transition and I can't concentrate on things because I'm constantly being pinged by reminders that I haven't set up the right protocols for. And um, so there's kind of, you know, it, it, there, there's, there's times in my life where it's really, really frustrating, but there's also times in my life where it's really beneficial. So, for example, when I'm giving talks or presentations, um, my ability to read the room um, because I'm noticing shifts in body language, posture, who's looking at me, who's not do you know I I can kind of pick up on that stuff really easily and so there are elements of my job that I definitely do better because of that uh, ability to split my attention Um, and then also when I'm writing and when I'm kind of creating new work or new ideas I can use that hyper focus um, and it gives me an edge in terms of um, creativity and uh, you know uniqueness of ideas.
0: I know the the British naturalist and TV presenter Chris Packham, who is Asperger's, has Asperger's, um, has been quoted as saying that he couldn't do his job without his Asperger's because it allows him to see things in a different way and therefore bring a a different perspective to trying to convey the natural world to ordinary people. So clearly there are some advantages. So what I wanted to ask you really was, why do you think that neurodiversity or the inclusion of neurominorities has lagged behind other kinds of diversity inclusion?
1: Well, it's not just neurominorities it's also disability in, in the you know the, the broadest sense of the word so um, there's a kind of debate at the moment you know neurominorities uh, which includes ADhd uh, autism. Uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia, it can also include Tourette syndrome, are neuro minorities disabilities or are they different ways of thinking? And so, you know, in the description that I've given you of ADHD, uh, you can see that I'm clearly landing my, my plane on uh, the, the side of this is a different way of thinking. However, there have been times in my life where I felt disabled and from a legal perspective across the world, uh, most developed economies have legislation that means that ADHD is a protected characteristic or can be a protected characteristic in the same way that multiple cirrhosis, Parkinson's, um, people living with cancer are also considered disabled. And and disability is is the new kid on the block of diversity. It's true. Neuro minorities are are, are somewhat being separated from the rest of disability, which is is kind of a bit weird for me. I'm kind of finding it almost slightly ableist to say, well, these disabilities are cool, but these disabilities aren't cool. Um, And actually any disability gives you the advantage of seeing the world for slightly differently. Any disability that you either acquire or are born with means that you're having a different experience um, to able-bodied um, uh, or neurotypical people, and so any disability will bring that diversity of thought into experience and experience into um, an organisation's culture and um, kind of knowledge bank. Uh, and the other thing to remember is that there are a billion disabled people worldwide. So any business needs to be able to cater for their customers or service users or clients who are also disabled. So the main advantage of all disability and inclusion programmes is that if you if you are homogenous in your um, internal um, conversations and communication. It means that you're less likely to be designing for the people who are going to use your services or products. And so, you know, you've got to have a better match. Why, why disability and uh, neuro minorities are the new kid on the block? I think probably has something to do with that legislation because it does make it a different thing to be inclusive of disability. You have to make reasonable accommodations. You have to, you know, consider um what physical and cognitive and um, emotional needs might come with those disabilities and you have to provide for them. them. And there's a lot of stereotypes and misunderstandings that this is going to be costly and expensive. It's actually not. Research has shown that uh, disabled people um, are less likely to leave an organisation. And so you have lower turnover. Uh, They're also less likely to um, take time off um, compared to non-disabled peers. And so they actually are, are cheaper to Employ, you know, you might spend an it costs an average of one thousand US dollars to make accommodations for someone with a neuro minority, Um, and and that actually is easily recouped in terms of the length of time they'll stay with you and the reduction in um, time off.
0: Thanks, Nancy. Just a reminder that you're listening to the Future of Work podcast from the ILO with me, Sophie Fisher. We're talking about getting greater neurodiversity into the workplace. For the first half of this podcast, I've been talking to Dr. Nancy Doyle, CEO of Genius Within and co-director of the Center for Neurodiversity at Work of Birkbeck College in London. Joining me now is Neil Barnett, who is director of Inclusive Hiring and Accessibility at Microsoft, based on the West Coast of the United States. Hi, Neil. Thanks for joining.
2: Hey, how are you?
0: Fine. Um, I should tell our audience that Microsoft has a well-established program for hiring and retaining neurodiverse staff. So why don't we start with you telling us why you set the program up?
2: Great. Well, so uh, in 2015, so it's been about six years, we started a autism hiring program that is now neurodiversity hiring. And at Microsoft, we've always hired people with disability. We see disability as a strength. But in 2015, we thought we could do more. We could do more in this space intentionally. And we took a step back and we looked at the unemployment rate, uh, in this case for autism, which is around 80% unemployment or underemployment. And we said, we thought we had a lot of jobs at Microsoft that some of the strengths of someone who is autistic would be really good for, whether it's pattern recognition or attention to detail. We had a lot of jobs that, at Microsoft that we thought it would be a good fit. So in 2015, we did this pilot um, knowing that we didn't know everything, knowing that we just had to start and learn along the way. And we did a small pilot, and we found some just great, great talent. We hired five software engineers, developers, And we quickly realized that there's a lot of talent in the marketplace that was just having a tough time going through that traditional interview process at many companies. You know that typical interview where it's you know one day back to back, really fast paced. Uh, And so we we started this, and then you know said, hey, let's let's think about doing more. And ever since then, I think we're on our 22nd or 23rd cohort. Um, we found just great, tremendous talent um, for the company.
0: So you, you're no longer restricted to people who are on um, the autism scale, but you also cover dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, all, all types of neurominority, yeah?
2: Absol- absolutely. So last year we moved from uh, just focusing on autism to hiring neurodivergent talent, um, all, all dyslexia, ADHD, exactly as you st- stated. And we really wanted to open the talent pipeline and even be more inclusive and really try to think about our processes and how we could adjust and continue to find more great talent for the company.
0: And, and what do you think that neurominorities um, bring you that what you might call neurotypical or neuronormal people don't? What can they contribute that's that extra something?
2: Well, you know, it's a good question. I think everyone is different, right? So, you know, it's a, it's a broad statement um, and everyone has their own talents uh, for any, for anybody, whether it's uh, someone with a disability or not. So we found neurodivergent individuals, you know, again, this is a broad stereotype, you know, whether it's attention to detail or uh, pattern recognition, um, you know, some great traits and behaviors, uh, that really help in the workplace, but again, it's a spectrum. Um, so everyone has different talent, and we, you know, embrace all the talent of the neurodivergent.
0: Can you, can you give me a couple of examples? Sure.
2: I mean, we we have found folks that are just, you know, like the role of a data science, a data engineer, right? We found great talent that can, you know, build and really good at forecasting and modeling, and you know, all the analysis that's needed to, for attention to detail. We found some great talent um, from the neurodivergent community in this space, as an example.
0: For you, is it just people working in IT and software? I mean, that's always a cliche for, for uh, neurominorities, isn't it? Um, but what about things like, what about HR and, uh, and other areas, business areas?
2: You, you hit the nail on the head. It's a big uh, stereotype or misconception that folks on the autism spectrum or folks that are neurodivergent um, it's always about uh, technology roles or STEM roles, and that's, that's the furthest from the truth. I think it's really important um, for other employers out there to, to think about hiring folks from the community across all different job types, from HR to finance to marketing. At Microsoft, we've hired folks in customer service, um, in finance, um, uh, technical content writers, all different types of roles, um, not just technical roles. And the good news is I see more and more employers out there doing exactly this, you know, looking for other types of roles other than the technical software engineer data type of roles, which is really the big opportunity for for all employers.
0: And what kind of adjustments have you had to, to, to make to... Um to to help your, your neuro minorities workforce fit in. Because I, I think that's something that, that worries a, a, a lot of um, potential employers, you know, that somehow it's going to disrupt the smooth flowing of their existing operations, and they're going to have to make too many expensive concessions.
2: For adjustments, workplace adjustments, also known as accommodations, which are really meant to ensure that your employee is as productive as possible at work um, we have found you know very basic um, adjustments or accommodations and so examples could be um, noise canceling headsets uh, to keep folks you know less distracted with all the noise around them or when we were all working in person uh, we have a lot of open floor plans at Microsoft and before the pandemic. And, you know, sometimes, you know, an adjustment could be not having the individual sit on the walkway where people walk by all the time, but in a couple rows or getting an additional monitor. So you, you've you seen folks that have like two or three monitor, monitors on their desk that kind of like a, wrap around like a like a shield to help with distraction. So there are adjustments made, but honestly, we found them to be very inexpensive and minor. Um, again, everyone is different, so some, you know, folks obviously might need more workplace adjustments. But um, for us, you know, through the program, the adjustments have been only a positive that has let the employees really be as productive as possible.
0: Um, you mentioned a minute ago um, the hiring process, and that's something that Nancy Doyle also mentioned because, I mean, for neurotypical people, the average recruitment process is a bit of a nightmare. Um, you know, you're sat in front of this panel having questions fired at you. How, how have you kind of recalibrated your your hiring process so that you can actually get the best out of your your potential recruits and actually really see what they can do rather than just frighten them into silence?
2: Yeah, that's that's been a, a, one of the keys to the success of, of this program uh, at Microsoft and again, other employers who do similar type of activity. The first, I would say, you know, anyone can apply for any job um, at Microsoft or any company through the traditional process that we just talked about. Right, that one day you apply online and you sit in front of a bunch of people and ask, they ask you a lot of questions, and you go from person to person. That's the typical approach, and we have candidates that choose that path and they get jobs at Microsoft. So it, it it happens all the time, every day. But there's also folks that Do better in what I call more of an accommodated interview process or a different front door. So, this is a more programmatic approach where candidates will self ID um, and they will come in. And instead of being one day back to back interviews, very fast paced, as you described, um, what we'll do at Microsoft is we have a multi day approach. It's a three to four day approach where we bring folks in. They get to know each other as, as candidates. They get to know the hiring teams and managers. We spend uh, probably two days doing um, exercises together on teamwork and collaboration and letting people feel comfortable um, and, and showcase some of their skills. And then we, you know, we spend time on practice interviews to kind of get candidates ready for the big interview. Um, we give them feedback, You know, one of the things that's really important is we want to make sure that, you know, they're getting skills and learning so that, you know, whether it's Microsoft or any other job, they'll take some good um, lessons from so that they can help them on the next interview. And then finally, on the last day, we do, you know, full traditional interviews like we do for any other employee. We just make sure it's even more inclusive. We, you know, schedule breaks between them. We make sure that the managers and the hiring teams that are interviewing have had training. on on disability etiquette and autism as a strength and neurodiversity as a culture. So we really try to set the candidate up for success. But what's really important for everyone is the bar is still the same bar, right? The performance expectation, the same as any other employee. It's the same pay. It's the same benefits. All we've really done is just try to make a a interview process that's more focused on their skills than some of the soft um, skills that Sometimes uh, people focus on during those traditional one-day interviews.
0: Yeah, so that's a that's a really important point, actually, isn't it? So it's not like you are you are lowering the required standard for um, neurodiverse people or neuro non-typical people. That they're being held to the same performance standards. You're just making it easier for them um, to, to to get through the door in the first place and and to do. Um, to, to, to perform, I suppose, to their best level, yeah, and that best level still has to be as good, if not better than everybody else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important, like for everyone to understand, this is not charity, right? This is about finding talent for your roles. This is about, you know, screening, you know, trying to, you know, you know find more talent and think about how you can be more inclusive in your interview approach to find this tremendous talent that companies are finding But the bar is still the bar. The expectations are the same. Um, And so the interview process is really important. And then, you know, the flip side is once you hire individuals, you know, making sure that you have the right support structure in place um, to set them up for success, too.
0: Yeah. So so tell me about that, because, you know, it's one thing to get hired, but then you want to kind of get on in your career and build a career. And inside the organization, you've got to get on with uh, with the other staff and you've got to be managed i mean have you have your um have your managers and the other staff who are not on this program what do they have to do to adjust to this there must be challenges for them too because as i say they're sitting next door to people and working with people every day who aren't thinking like them that being the whole point
2: so one of the things that we've done so obviously as as a new employee to microsoft or any company there's the traditional processes that you go through that the typical structure that you have and so we we encourage employees to take advantage of all the things that all employees have but the the other things that we do are we call it a support circle we we build out the support circle around each employee and there's three components of that the first is we provide through the program um access to um, job coaches and so these job coaches can do a variety of things. They could help on the transition for the first time to, let's say, a corporate work environment, or they can work with the, the manager. They can um, help the employee through things like, you know, prioritization of work or, you know, um, working with different coworkers. And so it's a having access to a job coach has been really important. And again, not everyone takes full advantage of it. It's an individual need but we make access uh, available to job coaches. The second thing we do is we provide each employee through our program um, access to what we call a community mentor. So that's someone from our disability employee resource group. It could be a parent, it could be a a coworker that um, has a disability, but somebody that you can reach out to, not your manager, um that you that helps you kind of just understand the culture of the company and getting around and you know do I need to go to this meeting and you know just you know as, a, as as a as a buddy um new to the company and we we the community mentor is so important you know you know some people are still talking to their community mentor two years later and having Thanksgiving you know um dinner together and so we provide a community mentor, we provide a job coach, and then as you hit on it before, we provide training to the hiring team and to the co-workers, and we provide, you know, training around uh, neurodiversity as a strength, neurodiversity as a culture. It's an in-person training um, where someone comes in that's neurodivergent and teaches this class. Uh, it used to be in person. It's now online, and it lets managers and teams ask questions and kind of demystify um and then we also obviously provide online training um for more employees that that kind of scale so there's a there's a support circle around it but again everyone is different and so we adjust but we found that um providing some of these um um structure has really helped us um with the growth and the retention of our of our of our talent
0: think more companies are not doing what you're doing and tapping into this um, this, this talent pool. I mean, you you obviously talk to a, a lot of other big companies in your industries and in others. I mean, do do you get any any feedback from them on what they think about this kind of program and why they don't necessarily run one themselves?
2: Well, I, I, a couple of thoughts. I think there is a growing you could call it a movement of employers that are are doing similar work to what Microsoft is doing. Um, one of the things we lead at Microsoft is something called a um, Autism at Work Employer Roundtable. And we have, you know, over 35 companies, large companies that you've, you know, many of your audience have heard of, like SAP and J.P. Morgan Chase and EY and Ford. There are a lot of companies that are doing this today, which many people may not know, and they're doing a great job. And I talk to a lot of employers each week. And there's a lot of employers that are, are wanting to do this. And I think to your question about what holds them back is sometimes they just don't know what they don't know and they're afraid um, to start without knowing everything. And, you know, one of the things I encourage is just to start small and to leverage partners. There's a lot of nonprofits, there's a lot of uh, academic, there's a lot of other employers that can help, um, but getting started is important. Um, and that's how you learn and grow. And so I think you will see more and more um, employers, uh, large employers, and then you know we're really trying to help the small, mid-sized business, which I think is the biggest opportunity um, to get started um, in the in the in the days ahead.
0: Yeah, because I, I can hear you know some some of these smaller employers, small net, medium-sized enterprises, listening to this podcast and going, "Well, it's all right for Microsoft, you know, they've got." Loads of cash; they've got loads of resources. Yes, they say this may be a talent pool, but I'm a small business. I've got maybe a couple of dozen employees. You know, one person in HR is all too much. You know, um, I, I can't cope for it. How do you, um, how do you, how do you get SMEs on board with this as well?
2: Yeah, that's you know that is the the million dollar questions, and there are great there are so many small mid sized businesses that are doing this today. There are there are you know bakeries and coffee shops and T-shirt manufacturers. Um, there are so many, but there needs to be so many more. And you're right; these these SMBs may not have an employee resource group or large HR teams, but the similar concepts can be done, um, and um, the fundamentals are all the same. And so we're really you know part of what we drive with this uh, employer roundtable that we lead is we have small and mid-sized companies in the roundtable with these large companies. And one of our goals as roundtable members is to help other companies think through and start programs. And so what's great is if it's a small business, one of our small businesses will sit down and start talking through the business case and how they did it and, you know, what funds they can tap into and what experts they can tap into. So, you know, Again, it, it's it. It needs to happen more, and you're right. You don't need to be a large enterprise to do this, um, but there's just tremendous talent out there, and and you know, no matter the role, whether it's you know retail, customer service, you know, IT. I I can't stress enough the the impact of of, of doing this and just you know finding great talent that you know in today's marketplace where talent is so hard to find. Um, really um, untapping it and, and, and getting into.
0: Ultimately, do you think this is a kind of component of competitiveness?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a big component about the diversity of thought. Um, and we think about diversity, you know, it, inc- it, you know uh, it includes the diversity of thought and, you know, creating a more inclusive culture for your team. I think that's a big component of it. Um, and, you know, more and more companies are seeing this and leaning in and trying to, to figure out how to make their culture at their company more inclusive. Um, and tapping into the neurodivergent community is just one of, of several great ways to do that.
0: Neil, thank you so much for your time. Um, that's Neil Barnett of Microsoft. And I'd like to give thanks also to Dr. Nancy Doyle of Genius Within and Beck College. And please join us again soon for another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. Goodbye.